2: The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. The pandemic lays bare UK inequalities.
1: Being black or from a minority ethnic background is a major risk factor.
2: How Sweden used similar lockdown modelling to the UK but chose not to lock down came to a different policy conclusion, but based really on, on quite similar science. And why British volunteers are desperately trying to catch the virus. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis. Black and Asian ethnic groups are twice as likely to die with COVID-19 than those from white British backgrounds. That's according to a report from Public Health England published on Tuesday. It confirmed that the highest diagnosis rates of coronavirus were in people of black ethnic groups. The report shows that ahead of race, age is the largest risk factor, followed by gender, men are more at risk than women. But even accounting for age and gender, people of Bangladeshi ethnicity have twice the risk of death than people of white British ethnicity, and that risk is higher for other Asian, Caribbean and black people too. But the report's been criticised for not establishing why this is the case. Presenting the findings to MPs, Health Secretary Matt Hancock vowed to find out.
1: It is very clear that some people are significantly more vulnerable to COVID-19. And this is something I'm determined to understand in full and take action to address. Black lives matter. And as do those of uh, the poorest areas of our country, which have worse health outcomes. And we need to make sure that all of these considerations are taken into account and action is taken to level up the health outcomes of people across this country.
2: The epidemiologist whose modelling helped shape Britain's lockdown strategy says that Sweden's achieved roughly the same suppression of coronavirus without a lockdown. Professor Neil Ferguson runs the group of scientists at Imperial College London, whose projections guided ministers towards stringent physical distancing rules to avoid overwhelming the NHS.
0: It's clear that there have been significant, has been significant social distancing in Sweden, and our best estimate is. That has led to a reduction in the reproduction number to around one. It's clear when you look at their mortality they're not seeing the rate of decline that most European countries are seeing. but nevertheless, it is interesting that adopting a policy which is short of a full lockdown, they've closed secondary schools and universities, and there is a significant amount of social distancing, but it's not a lockdown, and they have got quite a long way to the same effect, albeit you know, there's no evidence of really a rapid decline in mortality there in the same way as other European countries.
2: Sweden's approach was voluntary. It advised older people to avoid social contact and recommended that people work from home, wash their hands regularly and avoid non-essential travel borders and schools for children under 16 have always remained open, as well as large parts of the economy, including restaurants and bars. Last week, Sweden had more deaths per capita than any other country, but its total remains relatively low at just under 4,500. Now the architect of Sweden's much more relaxed policy has warned other countries not to wait for a vaccine before moving back to normality. Hannah Boland reports.
3: Anders Tegnell's approach hasn't been without controversy. But scientists at the country's Lund University estimate that without the trust-based measures, Sweden would have seen 40,000 deaths by May. At the time of recording, their death toll stands at just over 4,500. And while the UK is beginning to open up, Sweden isn't. It was largely open all along. As the architect of Sweden's much more relaxed approach, Mr Tegnell told The Telegraph that while people said his method was risky, waiting for a vaccine before easing measures is risky too. Boris Johnson doesn't agree. Last month, he described a vaccine as the only feasible long-term solution to ending the crisis. But for Sweden's state epidemiologist Anders Tegnell, the immunology of this disease seems quite complicated. Not a good sign, he said, that a vaccine will work very well. Instead, he's leading Sweden towards sustainable measures designed to reduce transmission over a long period of time because the virus, according to Tegnell, will be here for a substantial period of time and possibly forever. The country seems to have avoided the catastrophe seen by other European countries, including the UK. But there's one crisis the country hasn't been able to escape. At the start of last month, prosecutors launched an investigation into what happened in Sweden's care homes. It's prompted the government to spend more on the protection of its elderly citizens. Tegnell doesn't concede any ground on care homes, where he stresses that residents need constant care from outsiders. And if you stop the care for the elderly during lockdown, he told us, these people die anyway.
2: House prices have marked their biggest monthly fall in 11 years, according to Nationwide. Figures published by the Building Society show a 1.7% drop in prices in May, the largest over a single month since 2009. The property market made a cautious reopening last month using socially distanced property viewings as the industry catches up with an estimated backlog of sales of just under 400,000. Earlier, I spoke to Tom Bill, head of London residential research at Knight Frank. He told me that some of the market was recovering since lockdown measures were eased.
0: We've certainly seen demand rebound quite quite strongly, and obviously, pricing is a, is a, prices are a function of supply and demand. It's easier to to come along and register you're interested to buy a property than it is to kind of get someone around to value a house and to then list it onto the market. So we've seen that demand rebound more quickly as as we may expect. Uh, it's not quite back at where it was at the beginning. Um, of March. But actually, just just for context, at the beginning of March, we were sort of 40% above the five-year average in terms of new buyers registering uh, with us due to that uh, post-election bounce that we saw.
2: Looking down the line then, in October, the government's furlough and indeed mortgage payment holiday schemes will end. Do you see that making a big change? I mean, there is the point that people might actually be forced to sell as they find themselves with less cash in their pocket.
0: I think what happens after that will really depend on how the furlough scheme is unwound. I don't think we really know yet how that's going to sort of play out in terms of its impact on uh, on employment levels. Um, but if you're talking about forced sellers, we certainly saw that last time around two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. But that's when interest rates were at five or six and people were under financial pressure and, and, and having to sell. And, and if we look at what happened this time around, actually, it's quite interesting. Buyers and sellers both effectively fell off a cliff at the same time. And that didn't happen in 2008. You had supply holding, but demand went away. And that's what drove those those kind of quite large annual price declines that saw after the global financial crisis. So, it feels it's different this time now. We're in a very different interest rate environment. The supply and demand dynamics are, are, are also different. They both sort of moved in unison. Uh, if you like the forecasts for unemployment, aren't uh, certainly aren't as prolonged as previous um, as it was, you know, in two thousand eight, two thousand and nine. Given the the government's furlough scheme, given um, other other um, support measures, so I, I think comparisons with with the last recession are of limited use. Uh, and I think putting all that together, I don't think this is the global financial crisis mark two. I think the exit, the property market property markets exit from this is going to be smoother and less of a roller coaster ride.
2: The first comprehensive review into social distancing has found that keeping two metres apart from someone with coronavirus is twice as effective as a one metre gap. The analysis of dozens of studies published in the Lancet Medical Journal concluded that standing one metre from an infected person leaves people with a 3% risk of contagion. Standing two metres from someone with the virus saw that risk roughly halve. Ministers have faced repeated calls to relax the two-metre rule, with critics pointing out that German authorities insist only on one and a half metres. And while most of us follow updates like this one in a bid to keep coronavirus at bay, there's a growing group who are desperate to catch it. Luke Mintz has the story.
4: Would you deliberately expose yourself to coronavirus if doing so would help us get a vaccine? It sounds like something you might be asked in a philosophy lecture, but tens of thousands of people have volunteered to do just that. So normally, when testing a vaccine, scientists give the vaccine, or a placebo, to a group of volunteers, then let them go out and live as normal, hoping that enough of them become exposed to the virus through the course of their day-to-day lives. But of course, as transmission of coronavirus falls, as it is doing in the UK, fewer and fewer of your volunteers are exposed to the virus, and so it becomes harder to get a meaningful outcome. The head of the much-hyped trial at Oxford University told me that if his trial fails, that will be why. So now, momentum is growing among scientists for this idea of challenge trials, in which we would give the vaccine to healthy volunteers, probably aged between 18 and 30, and then deliberately expose them to coronavirus, before observing them in a quarantined lab for several weeks. The World Health Organization gave the idea its qualified approval last month. But it's controversial. We already do challenge trials in this country for illnesses like the common cold and malaria. But the difference is that these conditions either aren't that serious or they can be treated if things go wrong. COVID-19 is deadly and can't yet be treated. The young volunteers I've spoken to say they're perfectly happy to take the risk. If you're a healthy person in your 20s, your chance of dying with COVID is about 1 in 3,000, roughly the same risk as donating a kidney, which plenty of people do for altruistic reasons.
2: Being given a financial incentive to go on holiday sounds like one of those things that would always happen to other people. But the near-total shutdown of tourism means that could be closer than you think. Tourism industries in destinations including Mexico, Japan and Bulgaria have brought out plans to lure tourists back by offering partially paid holidays. They'll see visitors receiving free nights in hotels, free entry to beaches or reduced airfares for travellers booking flight and accommodation packages. Discount or no discount, a listener called Layla wanted to know if it was a good time to start thinking about booking a holiday. Leila, you are certainly not alone in needing one. And our deputy head of travel, Nick Trend, has been looking into the latest advice.
1: The mood music around the possibilities of travelling this summer is beginning to get a bit more upbeat. Ryanair and EasyJet are promising rock-bottom fares and foreign tourism is resuming in Italy, Cyprus, Greece and Portugal this month. So should you be tempted to jump in and book now to bag one of those deals? The short answer is no. Unless you're planning well ahead for, say, October onwards, be very wary of making a commitment just yet. A better strategy, I think, is to keep alert and be ready to jump in and book something as soon as some of those key uncertainties have cleared up. That checklist of uncertainties includes a change in foreign office advice against all but essential foreign travel and an end to the quarantine rules, which from June the 8th will mean that anyone arriving in the UK from abroad will have to self-isolate for 14 days. These rules have attracted widespread criticism, and I'm sure they'll be watered down. But there's still something to be more borne in mind before booking. Another key point is... Is the virus really under control? As things stand, things still look distinctly uncertain in the UK. And if cases or deaths started to rise again, we could find ourselves under another strict lockdown regime when you wouldn't be able to travel abroad anyway. And of course, exactly the same thing could happen in the destination you were planning to visit. So it's probably better all round to allow a little more time. Of course, if you did find an amazingly cheap deal, you could book it and take a risk. You won't have any trouble finding a hotel at the last minute. And if you decide not to travel, you won't have lost too much money.
2: If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the podcast, send us an email. It's coronaviruspodcast at (laughs) telegraph.co.uk. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis and I'll be back on Wednesday evening with your next update. In the meantime, you can access all of our news, analysis and advice completely free for the first 30 days of your Telegraph subscription. Go to telegraph.co.uk slash audio.